0: or Chris's podcast Exodus chapter 8 verse 30 through chapter 9 verse 7 so Moses left Pharaoh's palace and pleaded with the Lord to remove all the flies and the Lord did as Moses asked and caused the swarms of flies to disappear from Pharaoh, his officials, and his people. Not a single fly remained. But Pharaoh again became stubborn and refused to let the people go. Go back to Pharaoh, the Lord commanded Moses. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you continue to hold them and refuse to let them go, the hand of the Lord will strike all your livestock, your horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats with a deadly plague. But the Lord will again make a distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and that of the Egyptians. Not a single one of Israel's animals will die. The Lord has already set the time for the plague to begin. He has declared that he will strike the land tomorrow. And the Lord did just as he had said. The next morning, all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but the Israelites did not lose a single animal. Pharaoh sent his officials to investigate, and they discovered that the Israelites had not lost a single animal. But even so, Pharaoh's heart remained stubborn and he still refused to let the people go. So can you name the five plagues that we are going so far? or the first one? Blood and the second one. Frogs, the third one, gnats. And the fourth one. And then today, the fifth, we are looking at the death of the livestock in Egypt. Um, why, why are these different plagues? Just a reminder that it wasn't just, you know, God wasn't just picking on the Egyptians. Uh, it tells us in scripture that he is doing this to prove to the Egyptians and to everyone that there is one God, the creator of all. Yahweh, the great I am, the Lord of all. And so he is showing, he's doing these plagues to show all of these ideas and and gods of the Egyptians are false. And that he is Lord of all. And at the same time, that all people everywhere, throughout all times, can look at these plagues and can see that all of the things that we lift up in our lives as God or God-like are nothing. That he is first, he is God. And that we don't make him in our image, he made us in his image. In Exodus he says, I am the Lord. I am. And so um, as modern people, we can't underestimate the importance of livestock to the ancient people's. Um, For them, their animals, their livestock were food, they were transportation, they were the heavy machinery that accomplished cultivation for farming and carrying products across from one place to another, beasts of burdens. Um, For them, livestock were a symbol of power, they were actual wealth, um, just as important as money was. And, of course, they were a symbol of the status of people. Egypt, as a powerful empire, perhaps the most powerful empire in the world at the time, um, for them, their livestock was a symbol of their power, their wealth, and their status. And so God sending a plague to attack these livestock was was a direct shot at the power, wealth, and status of the empire. The Egyptians believed that, that, um, that many of the things that they saw in their world, the things that were important to them, came from the gods. And they had thousands of false gods and idols that they worshipped. For instance, they had, uh, they had cow gods. They had numerous cow gods. Three of the most important ones were a cow goddess named Hesit, who they believed provided milk for humanity, brought and sustained life. They believed in a goddess Hathor, they thought was a, the mother or consort of the sky god Horus, the sun god Rey, um both of whom are connected with kingship, and therefore symbolically this goddess was the, the god of the, or the, was the mother of Pharaoh the god's earthly representative. And Hathor was supposed to shepherd deceased souls from the from this life into the afterlife. They also believed in a god they called Happy. It's actually spelled H-A-P-I-S. One of their gods. They believed served as an intermediary between humans powerful deities. Interestingly, about this happy cow, they had a live mascot. So They had a cow that they venerated during its lifetime. It was sort of like Ugga, the bulldog, right? They've got Ugga, but dogs only live, what, 10 or 15 years if you're lucky, and then it dies, and then you get another Ugga, right? Well, they had a happy cow that they kept In a temple, they lavished it with wealth and and took care of it and babied it and pampered it. And then when it died, they'd have a funeral for it and they'd bury it. And then they'd look around the countryside for a cow with just the right markings that for them, they believe was a resurrected, new, happy cow. And they would bring that one into the temple. Isn't that crazy? Seems crazy to us. But for them, this is what they believed. And so God brought judgment on all of Egypt's gods and goddesses. And through this fifth plague, God intentionally poured out judgment on Egypt's pride and their wealth and their livelihood while exposing their perverted sense of what is sacred. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. That's what Scripture tells us. Now, understand that Scripture in this case is speaking hyper- in hyperbole. It says all the livestock died. It wasn't all the livestock that died. Um, we know that because in the seventh plague, God sends hail. And He warns the Egyptians, if you've got any livestock in the field, bring them in, because the hail will kill them. Well, if all the livestock died in the fifth plague, how are their livestock at the seventh plague? Well, many times in Scripture, it speaks in hyperbole. We do it too. We might say something like, The Bulldogs destroyed the Tennessee Vols. Did they really destroy them? No. But they beat them really badly. And we we all know what we mean. Well, many times in Scripture, it speaks in hyperbole as a way of making a point. And here it says... All the livestock died. In other words, so many of the livestock died, it was almost like they all died of a plague. But there were still some left. There had to be some left for the seventh plague. Now, you would think that one plague would be enough to convince Pharaoh and the Egyptians to listen to the one true God. But here we are on the fifth plague. Now, I pray that COVID-19 is enough to help us all recognize that we need to turn our lives toward God. Because I don't want to go through this five or ten more times. But the Egyptians were already on plague five. Pharaoh was incredibly stubborn and hard-hearted. A number of times throughout this story, we read about Pharaoh's stubborn heart and how he hardened his heart. You know, there's a way that a person can can hear God's call to repentance and they reject it and their heart becomes hard and callous. And the more you do that, the more you reject God, the harder your heart becomes. Until it almost seems like it's impossible for you to turn around. God always gives us the choice. He gave Pharaoh the choice. He said, you know, he gave Pharaoh the choice to let his people go. But Pharaoh continued to. To turn his back on God and not obey. And his heart became harder and harder and harder. And God allowed it to happen. And part of the reason that he allowed it to happen is because we have a choice. God gives us a choice. But another reason, I believe God allowed Pharaoh's heart. In some places it even says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. In order that the Egyptians... And the Israelites and people throughout all time would be able to see that God is sovereign. And God is going to put the Egyptians down to show that he is alone, is the one true God. But they also have to understand that there are also dark forces at work in Egypt. Have you ever thought about that? What happens to you and to your nation when you reject the one true God and make up pretend gods to serve your purposes? That's what the Egyptians did. Thousands of gods they created to serve their purposes. But here's the thing about false gods. You create them to serve your purposes. But in the end, what happens? You end up serving them. They enslave you. And I think about how idolatry opens people up to demonic influences in their life. Dark forces coming in and taking over. Well, there are plenty of dark forces, demons, and all kinds of ungodly things out there in the world that are willing to come and pretend to serve people for a a time, but ultimately in order to enslave them for their own purposes. Ephesians chapter six reminds us our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what the scripture tells us. There is a battle that is raging all around us. We don't see it because we mostly see physical things with physical eyes. But behind the veil, in the spiritual sense, there is a war that is going on between forces of evil and the one true God and the forces of good. In Egypt... They had given themselves to thousands of false gods and idols and opened themselves up. I can't even imagine the tremendous demonic influence that was a a part of their society after thousands of years of this kind of rejection of God and His goodness. When you turn your back on the one true God and you start making up idols of your own, you open yourself up to all kinds of evil. Jesus believed in demons. In the New Testament, we see numerous times where he encountered a person who was possessed by a demon. And one of the ways that Jesus ministered was to cast out demons from people again and again. Now, some people today think that this idea of demons and demonic influence It's an outdated idea. They think that demonic possession that the Bible speaks of, maybe it was just mental or physical disorders that ancient people could not diagnose. People in the Bible were just ignorant, they would say. They didn't know any better. But don't forget, Jesus never said that. Jesus acknowledged demonic influence as a legitimate problem for many of the people to whom he ministered. Are we so intelligent that we can just disregard how Jesus ministered? Think about this. Isn't it a bit arrogant for us as modern people to assume that we always know better and that the ancients always misdiagnosed mental or physical disorders as demon, demon in possession. We live in a world that dismisses any malady at all as possibly being caused by a demonic influence. Are we not in as much danger now as the ancients were then? of misdiagnosing a serious problem if we arrogantly dismiss the possibility simply because it's an old idea? But we live in a rational age. That means that we believe in science and medicine and logic and critical thinking. If we want to really know something is true, we test it, we study it, we verify it scientifically. We have taught ourselves in the modern world that science is always the answer, that science is always black and white. But are we but we are not as smart as we think we are? And the experts, the modern equivalents of the high priest, are not as infallible as we think they are either. One of the things that I hope we've all recognized as we've gone through these months of uh, struggling with this pandemic is how wrong the experts can be. I remember very vividly in the very beginning of the plague um, that the experts, and I'm talking about CDC Dr. Fauci, some of these people literally were telling us they had a, they literally had a program on television, a public service program to tell people you don't have to wear masks because it's not necessary and leave the mask for medical professionals and on and on and on. And then literally a few months later, the same experts completely changed that tune. And I remember in the beginning, I was listening to them because I'm an intelligent person. I entrust the experts and I even told people, I said, look, CDC says you don't have to do this. And they kind of did it in a way, it was like, if you're running around with a mask on, you're kind of ignorant. That was them. And then totally turned it around the opposite way. And other things as well, things like, in the beginning, they said that the virus could live on surfaces for weeks, and so that simply touching something that had been touched by someone who was infected could transmit, it could happen a week or two after the fact. Now they say, maybe a few hours or a few days it's as long as it can live. And in the beginning, they said, COVID-19 is only transmitted by droplets. And therefore, if you stand a certain distance away, the droplets will fall to the ground and cannot be transmitted. Right? And then this past week, they start talking about, they think maybe the virus is airborne. In the beginning, they said it is not airborne. Now they say it is airborne. These are all coming from scientific, medical experts. And, And then to all of this, you add in the politics. Because... The science that you believe is affected by the political flavor that you prefer. If you don't think politics is involved, then you probably have your head in the sand a little bit. Regardless of what you believe, you certainly can see that politics are involved in it. Now, I'm not here to take one side or another, and I'm not here to try to tell you what you should do. I wear my mask and I believe it's effective and I do. And I wash my hands and I do all of those things. I stay six feet away. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to make a point. I hope you hear the point. The real point I'm making is we are not as smart as we think we are. Even the most intelligent people that we look to to tell us what we're supposed to do haven't had it all figured out and they struggle. And science is not as black and white as we think it is, nor does it have all the answers because people will arrogantly scoff at you as being irrational and ignorant one day for believing something. And then a few weeks later, they will change their mind and believe what you believe to start with. And they will arrogantly scoff at you as irrational and ignorant because you don't believe what they say you're supposed to believe. And science and facts are interpreted and used. The way they are interpreted and used is a product, so many times, of what people believe. If you think it... Now, there are people out there who are purely looking at the science. But then it gets filtered down. And people use it. This is what the facts show. So you should believe this. This is what the data says, and therefore you should do that. you understand what I'm saying? My purpose today is not to debate the science and politics of COVID-19. My purpose is to expose an idol in our lives. According to Timothy Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, an idol is anything more important to you than God? Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God and anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And if we are honest, I think we'll admit that a lot of people today, maybe even you who are listening to this, trust more in the intelligence of modern humanity than you do In the Lord. Now, some people will say, "Well, can't we have both?" Well, yeah, we can. There's nothing at all wrong with science. God gave us science as a tool. You know that the the idea of scientific experiment that came from Christians. And experience, experience something. The four one of the four ways that we know God in the Methodist tradition is through scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Experience, which John Wesley got from the scientific idea of experiment. I believe in being rational and intelligent, I believe in education. I I got a bachelor's degree in science, and then when I decided I want to be a pastor, I had to go back and get a master's degree from an Ivy League college to be a pastor. Nothing wrong with education. It's important. But the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And the more I see modern people raise intellectual... And rational thinking up on a pedestal, the more I see that it becomes, it takes the form of a God in their life. It has come to a place that there are many people today in our modern world who think they don't even need God anymore. People who will reject the idea of God, even if it makes rational sense. They would say religion is just an outdated myth. And when you are so intelligent that you turn away from God, it's just stupid. When you're so intelligent that you turn away from God, it's just stupid. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. And Proverbs 3, 7 says, Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Are we too smart, too rational to think that demonic influence could still be part of our world today? Well, that's fine in ancient Egypt. That's fine in Bible times. But that kind of stuff doesn't happen today. That's what a lot of people think. And yet some of the signs that dark forces may be at work behind the scenes, I see them in the world today. Number one, people wouldn't know that it was happening. A lot of people today think, "Uh, The devil's not real. He's just a cartoon character with a pitchfork and a pointy tail. That's just a mythical creature. I think Satan loves that. He doesn't want to be exposed because that makes his job that much easier. Nobody's looking for him and his work. Satan loves to twist what God says. If you read in scripture, he will, when he spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't you know, come right out and say, hey, turn your back on God and just come follow me. No, he started with questions and he just sort of took what God said and he twisted it a little bit. He said to Eve, hey, did God really say you can't eat any fruit in the garden? That's not what God said. God said you can eat any fruit from the garden. Just don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he actually quoted scripture to Jesus. He took him up to a high place and he said, jump off of this. If you really are the son of God, jump from here. Because, he didn't say the reference, but I'll give it to you. Psalm 91 says, angels will protect you, so you will not strike your foot against a stone. Well, Jesus wasn't going to fall for that. He knew that that's what scripture says, but that's not what God meant. And He says, you shall not test the Lord your God. When demonic forces are at work, People will do all kinds of incredibly evil things. Do we not see that in the world today? Incredibly evil things? And here's something that really jumps out at me. People will call evil good and good evil. Have you ever noticed how that happens in our world today. You know, it's something interesting I've noticed. When I was a kid, I used to love superheroes, right? Superman, Batman, all of those kinds of things. And, and you knew who the good guys were, right? Superman's the good guy. And Lex Luthor is the evil arch villain. When I go to watch a superhero movie today, it's so interesting. They like to flop, flip flopping around. They want to make, uh, they want to tell the story from a different perspective. And Lex Luthor becomes the, the real hero, and Superman becomes the bad guy. And part of it is because, you know, they've told that story so many times, they want to be interesting, so they kind of flip it around and try to tell it from a different perspective. But another thing to me is it really, it reflects something that's go, going on in our society, where we look at good things, and think they're bad, and bad things become good. Some of you have been around for a while. You can remember a time when it was very obvious that certain behaviors were considered to be wrong. And nobody would argue with that. It was obvious. Everybody knew it. It was wrong, it was repugnant, and you didn't do it. And now you look around at the world today and the very same behaviors that you once knew, everybody knew were wrong, are glorified. People calling evil good and good evil. And it's not long when you go down that road before you don't even have to hide. Satan doesn't even have to hide anymore because nobody is afraid of him. Nobody thinks that he's the bad guy. Next thing you know could be you're like Egypt, where you think a cow is your god, and vultures and flies and snakes are things to be worshiped. And Romans chapter 1, verse 27 says So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth for God about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So this is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, buried their lust, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves, the penalty they deserved. And so many of us might feel kind of like the Egyptians. You know, the Egyptians lived in an absolute monarchy. What Pharaoh said, they had to do. Well, we don't live in that today, right? We're a democracy. We get to choose who our leader is. And yet, when we look at our system, (laughs) sometimes the choices aren't the very best in the world, are they? And sometimes you feel like, well, what am I? I'm just one person. What does my vote really make a difference? And we have to say... Who do we choose? Are we going to choose to go along with society and do what everybody else is doing because we, are, we have no choice? Or are we going to turn to God and put Him first and foremost? You know, there were some Egyptians who left with the Israelites. But think about how difficult that would be. They had to leave behind... Everything they had known and their love, they have to leave behind being part of a superpower, the Egyptian Empire, the most powerful empire in the world, to go with a bunch of slaves to follow a God they can't see into a land that they don't know about. That's faith. What do you trust in? Do you trust in the one true and living God that Scripture teaches about? Or do you trust in money? Or do you trust in your intelligence and being a rational thinking person? Is that most important? Is it something else? Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends upon human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. So today the word of God to you is this: turn from false gods to the one true and living God, the one who gave his son on the cross to redeem you from slavery to sin. If you choose something else above God, know this: your days are numbered. Your world and everything in all your false gods, will soon fall. Just as all of the gods of Egypt fell. There is only one Lord. One. He is the great I Am. And Jesus Christ shows us what He is like. As he lays his life down on a cross for us. To save us from our sin. To wash away our sin so that nothing comes between us. And I invite you to turn to him today. And have eternal life. And to give to God the allegiance and the love that he deserves. Amen.